You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome everyone to another episode of Marketing News Canada. I am so thrilled to introduce you to Mark Tungate, who is the editorial director of the Epica Awards, the only global creative prize judged by the specialist press. He's also a journalist and the author of several books about branding and creativity, and he's a Brit, but he lives in France. Mark, thank you for being here. Well, thanks, Darren. It's a pleasure to be here, of course. So it's pronounced epica, coming from, I imagine, the root word epic. Is that correct? Yeah, we always say that it actually stands for the Editors and Publishers International Creative Awards. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's a great acronym. Well, I don't think it actually started that way. I think we kind of invented that acronym later on. (laughs) But that describes what it does. It's amazing. How long has the award been in existence? It actually was started in 1987. It was started by another British guy, not me. I was still working in local newspapers back in 1987. So yeah, he started it in 87. And it was the first, at the time, it was the first European advertising awards, even before Eurobest. And it was also the very first, and it's still the only one, judged by journalists who write about advertising, as opposed to other advertising agencies or people from other advertising agencies. So that was kind of the USP. And that's remained the USP ever since, even though it's international now, it's not just European. So Canadians can enter. Yeah. And tell me why that's important. Like, I know you're going to be biased in your answer, but why is it important that journalists, not peers, judge? Well, for a start, it makes us a very different kind of award because you have a different audience looking at the work. An audience who are more like members of the public, but kind of informed members of the public, if you like. People who've been writing about advertising and analysing advertising, not just advertising, by the way, but design and digital as well, but have been doing this, you know, sometimes almost all of their lives. So they have that distance from the agency world, but they're still experts in that field. And the second thing to say, which is kind of obvious, I suppose, but they're impartial and objective. They're not going to not vote for you because you work for an agency that they don't like or that fired them one day in the past. And they're not going to vote for you because you're in the same network or whatever. They only care about the work. And by the way, they're not even allowed to vote for work from their own country. So it's really the idea and the creativity behind the work that's being judged. And you mentioned Canadians can enter. Tell us about that. When did you start allowing Canadians to enter and what does that look like and who are some of the Canadian jury members? Yeah, well, we have the magazine Strategy, which is a Canadian magazine, as you know, and they're on the jury. I believe we have a new jury member from Canada uh, as well this year, which is uh, related to you guys. I mean, Canadian agencies have been able to enter since we went international, which I think was in 2014 that we went fully international, that we converted from European. We have quite a few um, Canadian entries. LG1, I think, is one of the agencies. Rethink as well, they regularly enter. And there are certain others, but those are two that pop to mind. And they seem to win a lot as well, actually, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that is awesome. And it's neat to know that they are being judged on an international level, at an international stage. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the jury are from all around the world. So we have, you know, Ad Week from the States, but we also have Campaign from the UK and Creative Review and Shots. And we have their equivalents all around the world. So here in France, where I live, there's a, a magazine called Stratégie, where I used to work a while back. And they're on the jury. Marie-Caroline Royer is their juror. So yeah, so it really is an international stage. But I didn't know that. So as Mark News Canada enters the jury in the Strategy Magazine, we won't be able to actually jury or judge Canadian entries. Is that correct? 
That's right. You're not allowed to judge your own work, except if it gets through to the Grand Prix stage, yes. and then you're allowed to weigh in. And traditionally, we allow people to weigh in when it gets to the Grand Prix stage. Actually, I should say there's another Canadian connection this year, because the jury president is a guy called David Greiner, who used to work for Adweek. He was their international editor. And he recently co-founded a non-profit called Creative Ladder. Yeah, with our friend Ryan. Yeah, exactly, with Ryan Reynolds. So he's on the jury. So there's a kind of a connection with Canada there as well. No, it's a very deep connection. Yeah, yeah, Ryan is one of our favorite Vancouverites. He actually often films here, which is nice. So him and Blake will actually frequent the restaurants in Vancouver and write about some of their favorite places to visit. I mean, the guy obviously is an actor, but apart from just being an actor, he's an amazing communicator who also has an advertising agency called Maximum Effort, as you know. So, you know, it's nice to have him as a kind of cousin, <laughs> in a way, to the Epic Awards, even though he might not be aware of that, or unless David spoke to him about it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think he's, he's somebody very likable. It's pretty easy to get behind him and his sort of philosophy, I think. So, okay, can we talk about that creative ladder and what it's about and what they're trying to do? Because that's really fascinating about like, what has it been like with diverse voices and diverse jury members or diverse entries? Have you seen a change in the last few years with... Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. I mean, it's to David, really, to talk about creative ladder itself. But I can talk about diversity in the industry. We have a few categories about that. We have a gender diversity category. So campaigns that are encouraging gender diversity in all aspects of life, particularly in business. In advertising itself, clearly this has been a huge issue, not just gender diversity, but diversity all around. And, you know, the agencies are making efforts, but there's still a long time ago. Actually, I was talking to a young woman creative, who's actually a creative director, um, the day before yesterday, I was interviewing her. And I was saying, you know, how has the industry improved in that respect? And she said it has improved, but she said it from a really low base. She said it was like down in a pit and burning, and now it's got a bit better. And she said that agencies have to be really careful in all forms of diversity, that they don't say, okay, we've won a couple of prizes for gender diversity or diversity in general, and so we've done that, and now it's time to move on, that it's a really long, ongoing process and that all agencies need to be aware of. In terms of our jury, the interesting thing about that is without even making an effort, and I don't know whether this says something about the journalism industry or the press, is that we've always had a pretty diverse 50-50 jury in terms of male and female members. A lot of the editors on the jury are women. And in my career, I've worked for a lot of really interesting women editors and fellow reporters. So it seems to be somehow a more diverse industry than others. I can't really explain why that is. Because, you know, the same issues face Journalists that face other women, it's, you know, the maternity thing that tends to be an issue because agencies don't always create the situation where women feel that they can take time off to have kids and men as well. But that's changing too, you know, and I hope it's going to. But we do seem to have on the Epica jury quite a diverse group of people. That's amazing. I remember three years ago. Again, I come from a creative background and I was, you know, went to school to be a painter and I ended up in the, you know, industry from a creative side. And so I just assumed we're a very like creative, inclusive, diverse group of people. And I'm here in Vancouver, which again, all around me are diverse people. But when I looked three years ago to do a kind of an assessment and review of Canadian ad awards and marketing awards, every single winner and every single jury member were only white. There was ne'er a non-white person to find. No, it's true. And it's rare to go into an agency and see non-white people. And that's why you know, Ryan said it himself, that uh, that's why he started Creative Ladder with David, because he moved into the world of advertising and found that everybody looked like him. 
that they're all basically white middle-aged guys. And so that's what he wants to put right. And that's why the whole point of that organization is to welcome new faces into the industry and, and new voices. And also creativity needs diversity. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a cliche, but if you sit four people around the table who come from the same place, they're just going to be talking about the same stuff. But, you know, four people from completely different cultures, and then you've got interesting things going on. That's where the magic is, you know. So agencies need diversity. And are you seeing that too with like submissions and jury members coming from people from representing the indigenous or people of color? Yeah, I'd say the jury is sort of a bit less diverse in that way than gender wise. But yeah, we're seeing that. And, you know, in terms of entries, what's interesting is because there's a casting issue as well. So it's interesting how ads, even the cast used to be all white basically. Obviously, if they came from the US and the and the UK and European countries. But that's changing too. And you're seeing more of an effort within advertising. I'm talking about film now, obviously, to show diverse groups of people, different groups of people, a more kind of cosmopolitan looking casting, I would say. That, that's kind of a trend, quite a new trend, actually, but one that should probably continue, we hope. Yeah. And then I'm just thinking my own kids to see someone who looks like them in an ad would be pretty awesome. No, it's true that you need that. You need to feel represented. Yeah. And I think it's still an issue for many people that they're not seeing themselves on the screen, you know. Or in magazine ads or in billboards. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, in all those places, you know, even in movies, you know. I remember when uh, Black Panther came out, somebody, I can't remember who it was, said, wow, it's the first time I've seen a gigantic movie poster and I felt as if this could be me on this movie poster, you know. It wasn't the same people that you always see. So I think, you know, our industry is moving in that direction, I hope. And now for you, what's your encouragement? Because there's a lot of Canadians listening right now and some brand side and some agency side, CMOs, all listening and wondering, should I enter another award? Is this something that I should put the time, effort, money, energy to? And maybe speak to that. What's your encouragement to folks that are considering? Yeah, it's a tricky one. What we try to do at Epica is give these journalists who write about advertising and creativity all the time the chance to celebrate creativity. So your work is being celebrated by a different group of people, a group of people who have a huge influence. Because if you think about it, agencies like brands are built on reputation, and they're built on what people feel and think about them. And journalists are all about talking about things, talking about stories, talking about people who tell interesting stories. So I think that's what they're looking for. They're looking for brands and agencies that have got interesting stories to tell, and they're willing to tell those stories. And so entering Epica gives you, as a brand or an agency, a direct access to a whole bunch of extremely influential people who want to talk about you. And immediately, even when you've just entered, even before you've won anything, you've already put your work in front of this very influential group of journalists. So I think that's something worthwhile. But we know that, you know, awards is a business. We know there are many awards. They're expensive to enter, and ours are slightly less expensive than certain others, but still. Agencies do have a budget for that. And they know that awards are important because they motivate staff, because they build their reputation, and they also allow their brands and their clients to show off what they can do creatively. Awards are a business, even an industry in a way. But I think the agencies are willing to support that because they can see the point of it. They can see why they want that showcase. So there you go. That's my little pitch. That's great. (laughs) And what's the price point for people to enter? 
the awards? I had a feeling you were going to ask that. I think rather than say something that's wrong, I think you should probably go to our website, which is www.epica.awards.com, and then all the different prizes are listed because there are different prizes depending on whether you enter one commercial, a campaign, a case study, etc., etc., etc. But it's not going to cost a fortune. We're cheaper than certain French-based festivals might be. Just for those that are curious, to enter, just to kind of get registered, it's $271 Canadian, and that gets you registered. And then it's price per entry, so print entries. And this is going to euros, 290 euros, film and radio, 335 euros. Alternative and digital entries, 369 euros, and integrated campaigns are 599 euros. So if you're considering, you know, to kind of crack in there, you're probably, if you want to enter a few, you know, like... Thousand Canadian isn't a bad budget to put in. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, if you're really nice and you drop me a line, I may be able to get you a discount as well. Really? You yeah. can do that? I can do that. I have the power to do that. Wow. If you say to me, look, I've got this really great campaign, Mark, and I desperately want to enter the Epic Awards, I may be able to do a small deal with you to help you out. <laughs> okay, so I'm involved in this group called POCAM, which is People of Color in Advertising and Marketing. Mm-hmm. And ah, one cool. that we'd love to see is more people of color in advertising and marketing winning awards. Mm Because it's typically the same folks. I wonder if I reach out to them and said, Mark wants to see your entries. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, do it and see what they say and then we'll talk about it. I'm sure I can help. Amazing, amazing. And I think the other flip side is, how much work is involved in putting it together? Are you simply sending in kind of the link to the video and then a brief write-up? Or is it like, are you answering multiple questions? I'm not involved in the technical side of entries, but I've heard that our entry platform is one of the easiest in the awards sector. So you're basically uploading work. It doesn't seem to be any harder than uploading a video uh, in any other format. So yeah, once you click on the entry link, I've heard that it's pretty easy to upload your work. And I think there's a small form to fit in that kind of mm-hmm. talks about why the work exists and what the idea behind it is. But I've heard that the entry process is pretty easy. Once you click on that little link, then it guides you through. And in any case, one of the good things about Epica is that because we're quite a small team, yeah, then like here in France, there's maybe like 10 of us max. We also are available... People can call us up and say, look, you know, we're having problems entering. We don't really know uh, what category we need to be in. We're having problems with the platform. And we will personally talk you through it. I mean, it's a very one-to-one kind of thing. Me and my colleagues are always available to help people out if they have any problems with that. So we try to provide a bespoke service, we say. And you mentioned this briefly, but maybe you want to unpack this, because you said you also get in front of editors and reporters all around the world. And they may even say, oh, hey, this would actually be a good story to write about. So at the very least, maybe you don't win an award, but you're getting exposure to all sorts of media and press. Absolutely. And you know, that happens quite a lot. I remember one year, to go back to David Griner, when David was on the jury as a representative ad week, every day when we were looking at different entries, he would pick one, not necessarily one that won, but one that amused him, one that he thought was innovative, and he would write about it. And, you know, just put it in his daily updates. And quite a lot of the journalists do that. I'm going to do that for Mark News Canada. We're going to do that. It's a great idea. I mean, they all look at all the work or as much of the work that they can, you know, physically see. And quite often, even before the awards have been announced, they'll identify something that they find funny or clever. And yeah, they'll go away and write about it. I think that's the big difference between, because people often ask me, what wins at Epica as opposed to other awards? And there are overlaps between us and Cannes, let's say. But one of the key things is that because our guys are journalists, they just love a good story. Mm. Whether that's a case study of an activation, but which captures their imagination, or whether it's a terrific film 
with amazing copywriting. But that's the kind of thing that something that they think could somehow make a headline. Yeah. That tends to be the kind of thing that they're attracted by. Oh, okay, that's great advice. So think more story versus maybe just like results and hard numbers. Exactly. They, we will say that Epica is about the originality of the creative idea and the quality of the execution, and then about the emotion it provokes in you. We don't really judge. We're not the Effies. We don't really judge effectiveness. The bit of the case study where it says, you know, we hit 180,000 people and some people on Mars saw this thing. It was so great. We tend not to be that interested in that. What we're interested in, was it a great idea or not? That's great to know. So, okay, give me like, again, the landscape, speaking of, you mentioned the FEs and you mentioned Mars, but like kind of the constellations, what are some of the awards that are out there that are like the global awards that people maybe aren't aware of or maybe should be aware of? Yeah, well, apart from us, I mean, you know, Cannes is obviously the big, the Oscars of the advertising or kind of communication world. It's impossible to escape and everybody likes to have won a Cannes lion. But in a way, you have three formats, right? You have what I would say is the Cannes format, which is creative people largely and, and other people from agencies judging the work. Then you have the effies, which is the effectiveness part, you know, what did this idea actually achieve in sales or impact? And then you have us which is the journalists. So in a way, we're kind of a category of one. And there are many, many other awards, the London International Advertising Awards, and you have the Kinsale Sharks in Ireland. It's amazing. I mean, you can tell that agencies must like awards to feed this ecosystem that exists out there. And every country has their own awards as well. So, you know, they must have a value. Otherwise, all these awards wouldn't exist. And that's why I can understand when people say, you know, wow, you know, we'd love to enter Epica, but we haven't got the budget this year. Yeah, we're in October already, you know, uh, sometimes uh, the budget won't stretch. But luckily, there are still some left who will. But you're quite affordable, like just incomparable to other award entry fees, even ones that are just Canadian and just national. You're similar price, if not less than some of the Canadian awards and you're international. Yeah, and we've always tried to be accessible. You know, that's always been one of our watch, both, you know, accessible in terms of you can call us up and chat with us or drop us a line and ask us questions, and also accessible in terms of our pricing. Awards are a business, but, you know, we're not trying to overdo it. The other side of the Epica Awards is we also have a media platform called Adforum as well. So Adforum runs the Epica Awards. And so that's the other part of our business. So we don't exist purely as an award show. We have a whole kind of business that's going on. The interesting part of that is that we kind of form this interesting hub between the world of journalism, if you like, and the world of creativity. And I think that's one of our values, actually. That's really cool. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Now, as far as you know, people kind of on the edge, they're thinking about it, they got the budget, they're going to go, they're going to apply. What can they expect if they're a runner-up or if they're a winner? What does that look like? Do you mail something to them? Is it a live Zoom experience? Or what does the show look like this year? Okay, so the show has evolved. We used to have an event at a theater in Amsterdam. Amsterdam, cool. Yeah, and before that, a couple of years, we had it in Berlin as well. Normally, it's a European venue as we're based in Europe. Yep. During the pandemic, that became impossible, obviously. Mm-hmm. during lockdown for the time being we have an online ceremony this year for the first time since 2020 the jury are going to meet in person in london to discuss the awards the grand prix jury to debate the grand prix winners and we're going to have a small uh, soiree in london on the 5th of december for um, the jury and local agency folk so if anybody happens to be in london on the 5th of december let me know but the actual ceremony is going to be online and i want to say i think it's december 9 this year normally what happens is there's me kind of as a presenter it's almost like a broadcast kind of thing where i present the awards and then you see the work that's the good thing is that you can see the work you can see the winners in a way it's more democratic than the theater deal where if you didn't happen to be one of the 250 people in the room in amsterdam you didn't see the show whereas now everybody can see the show and everybody can appreciate the winning work yeah so basically, yeah, so there's two stages. There's a, like most awards, there's a shortlist stage, and then there's a gold, silver, and bronze, and then there's eight Grand Prix as well. And um, if you win gold, silver, and bronze or a Grand Prix, you get a trophy, which is a pyramid. Amazing. And then you mail those to everyone's office. We do mail those to everybody, yeah, yeah. Which is sometimes difficult because now people in offices aren't necessarily in offices anymore. So sometimes it's difficult to get their pyramid to them. But we have one of my colleagues works very hard to ensure that everybody gets their trophy. Yeah, and then they do their picture with the trophy, I imagine, and they post it. And- they sometimes do that, which is always a good thing to do, yeah. So, um, no, and it's kind of a nice trophy. It's just like a crystal pyramid. I think the runners-up get a certificate as well, if Ooh. I'm not mistaken. But I always think that like being shortlisted is already fantastic, you know, because only about 10 or 12% of the work actually gets through to the final run. So if you've been shortlisted, it's already pretty great. I mean, I'd be happy as a writer to be shortlisted for one of my books. You know, that's already cool, you know. And then winning is like the icing on the cake in a way. Tell me about the books that you've written because I want to hear about these. Yeah, well, the last one, actually, (laughs) ironically. So what I do is that I write about industries that interest me. So the very first one I wrote was about the media industry, and it was called Media Monoliths. Because they say, write what you know, right? So I decided I wasn't going to write a romantic uh, blockbuster about the 19th century. (laughs) But I was a media journalist, so I was going to write about the media. So I wrote about media branding and how the branding of the media was going to evolve in the internet era. This was back in 2001, I wrote that. And then I kind of started this series where I'd like investigate industries that interest me. I did seven of them in the end and kind of do a bit of a journalism number on them and interview the most interesting people and tell stories about these industries from pretty much from a branding point of view. I guess, having said that, my favourite one was a book called Adland, which is a global history of the advertising industry. And that was fantastic for me because I just 
got to interview everybody. I interviewed John Hegarty from BBH and uh, Martin Sorrell and somebody who'd worked with David Ogilvy, or David Ogilvy clearly wasn't with us anymore, but I worked with a guy who'd actually worked with him. You know, some of the real leading names in the industry, legends almost. Mm. And uh, they told me their stories. It was easy to write because you know, these people are storytellers already. And this is Mad Men days too, right? This is like Exactly. The- but, yeah, I went right back to Mad Men days. It stretches from Mad Men days, well, actually even before I go right back to the kind of birth of advertising in the 19th century and then right through to the kind of start of the digital age. So that was probably the most fun book I've written and probably the one I'm most proud of as well. Because when I read it now, I find myself getting hooked on these stories because these people were such great storytellers. I didn't need to do anything. I just wrote down what they said, you know. So then there's a few different ones like that about the fashion industry, about the luxury industry, and also about the travel industry. But that one came out just before (laughs) lockdown then decimated the travel industry and made my book totally irrelevant. But there you go. Those are the breaks, guys. <laughs> I find that even being in the ad industry now, I feel like there's a there's a great podcast here in Canada on the CBC. Terry O'Reilly does it called Under the Influence. And he kind of goes into the history of advertising, like how advertising mm. started with realtors putting up pictures of themselves. And I feel like as an advertiser in 2022, it's like knowing the past helps you better understand the future and now, I find, kind of looking where we came from. So I love that you uh, were able to document that and get those interviews in. It's really, really cool. It was fascinating. And it's funny how, although the advertising world, obviously with digital, has changed so much, you see threads coming through, you know, from really early on in history, you know, the way that it's all about talking to people and getting them on your side. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, it's about telling stories, as I said earlier. Have you done an audio book of that one yet? I never have done an audiobook of that, actually. I don't know whether my publisher um, ever considered that, actually. I mean, it's a very B2B kind of niche title in, in some ways. But yeah, I guess it would be worth considering maybe one day. I would love it. And I don't know if you've seen this, but Malcolm Gladwell, a good Canadian, put out a book called Talking to Strangers and did, maybe people have done it before, but what's called an enhanced audiobook. And so he mm-hmm. read the book, but then all throughout mm-hmm. it, he smattered it with news audio clips and YouTube audio clips and audio segments from different pieces that were relevant to the book he wrote. That's fantastic. That's a really good idea. He's so clever, isn't he? The Tipping Point was one of the early kind of books that I read that really started me thinking about trends and how they happen. I, I love that book. And funny enough, for somebody who writes nonfiction, I don't read that many nonfiction books. I love reading novels. But he has that kind of way of pulling you into what he's talking about. He has a great prose style, you know. It's wonderful. Are you feeling ready for a rapid fire round here? Oh, yeah, I forgot about the rapid fire round. Yeah, try me. I might stumble sometimes, but let's go for it. Yeah, let's go for it. What was your first ever job? I worked in my dad's record shop on Saturday afternoons. My dad had a record shop and he let me work there. And it was great because I used to tape all the top 10. Yeah, (laughs) it's perfect. Uh, Night owl or early bird? Early bird. Nice. Cat or dog person? We have a cat, and I'm, a, I'm definitely a cat person. There's a whole story I could tell you about that cat, but yeah, to keep it short, we have a cat, yeah. So I'm into cats. What is the first story that you wrote and got published? The first story that I wrote that got published? Well, I guess that would be on my first newspaper, which was the Evening Advertiser in the, the west of England. And I remember they sent me out to do a Vox Pop on the street because the very first McDonald's restaurant had opened in this small town, and I had to corner people coming out of the restaurant and ask them what they thought of fast food and write down what they said and then turn it into a story. And I remember they, it got on the front page and I had my byline. And I was like, I was 19 years old at the time, by the way. I started very early. So I, I remember going home with the newspaper and showing my mum and dad. I was like, look, I'm really a writer now. Look at this. There's my byline. You've made it. Do you still have that clipping? <laughs> I don't. I have quite a few clippings from that period. I don't have that one, but I have a few from the paper, yeah. 
Dark or milk chocolate? Dark. What is your favorite word right now? Formidable. There you go, French word. And for those that didn't grow up with French, what does that mean in English? Formidable, I guess it means fantastic. You know, there's a Charles Aznavour song called Formidable. So, you know, Aznavour's like the Sinatra of France, as you probably know. So I love it. So uh, growing up in Canada, all of our, you probably know this, but all of our packaging has English and French on it. And so <laughs> there's, yeah, there's this no-name brand grapefruit pop my parents would buy growing up, right, for sleepovers and stuff. And it was called Pamplemousse. So I still, you know, ah, yeah. which is yeah. So I still call grapefruit drinks pamplemousse because pamplemousse. Oh, yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> it's great. What is the last charity you supported, either financially or with your time, and why? I actually support Doctors Without Borders, and I donate a certain sum to them every month. And I've been doing that for like years. I mean, at least since I've been in France, I've, because Médecins Sans Frontières is, I think, originally, if I'm not mistaken, a French charity. So yeah, they're my charity of choice. What's a movie that you just love? You could watch it over and over and over again. Okay, I'm going to give a couple of answers. Yeah. Casablanca. Yes. Yeah. Because it's just the ultimate Hollywood movie. Mm-hmm. Saw it for the first time with my dad. It makes me think of my yeah. dad. It makes me think of like Sunday afternoon, you know, with it raining outside and watching this fantastic film for the first time. It has a big nostalgia thing for me. But then I also wanted to give a mention to a really obscure film called Beat Girl okay. from the late 1950s. And the reason I want to mention it is because it was made by my great uncle. My great uncle was a filmmaker in the 50s called uh, George Minter, and he produced that movie, Beat Girl. And the music is by John Barry. It was like one of the first soundtracks that John Barry ever wrote. So that's my connection between the world of my great uncle and the world of James Bond. So I think that's kind of cool. It's very cool. Speaking of music, what's your favorite song or album on repeat right now? Uh, What am I playing right now? I just bought a couple of jazz albums, actually. I'm quite into jazz. McCoy Tyner. I think it's called The Real McCoy. I've been playing that recently because it literally appeared in the post a couple of days ago. And I have to say that uh, Diana Krall's Christmas album appeared in the post the other day. Wow. (laughs) But I haven't played it yet because it's a bit early. (laughs) Wow. Okay. But it soon will be. Maybe when this is published, you will be listening. Sure. Yeah, I'm really into the kitsch side of Christmas and the music that goes alongside it. I have to say, I'm a sucker for that stuff. And I really like Sinatra as well. So that kind of goes with that feel as well. Now, thinking about your job, if you weren't doing this job, what would you be doing uh, maybe in another world? I was talking to my wife about this this morning, actually. Historian is something uh, I like. So I'm I'm very interested in history and I'm attracted to, again, it's about stories. But I also really like photography as well. I could have imagined being a photographer. And one thing I've noticed about photographers is they always live to a ripe old age. There's a lot of like really old photographers who are still going strong, like David Bailey, for example. And I think it's because they look outward rather than inward. So I think looking outward and appreciating others and appreciating the world around you is one of the keys to longevity, it seems. Speaking of Malcolm Gladwell, he wrote a book about kind of outliers, and he was saying that some of the healthiest people in the world drank a lot, you know, smoked a lot, but it was a small little town. But because they lived in community and they looked out for each other so well, you know, you never felt the stress of being without. They lived so long and they were very healthy. It was really cool to see about that. Yeah, and I think, it, like you said, they looked outwards all the time. Yeah, I think that's very important. It's one of my life hacks. I think you mentioned the term life hacks somewhere, and that's one of them, I would say. What's an app on your phone you can't live without? Well, unfortunately, I have to say it's Instagram. Instagram kind of replaced photography for me. I used to go around the world with this big, clunky, like, analog SLR camera. And then once I discovered I could take pictures of my phone, I was like, okay, well, this is cool. I can take, you know, discrete photos. And once I discovered Instagram where I can, like, share these photos and get people to tell me what they thought of them, I was totally hooked. And unfortunately, I remain hooked. Although it's kind of unfashionable in a way now because, you know, Instagram, everybody talks about Instagram. But I have to say that I'm still a bit of an addict. 
So at Mark Tungate, everybody. <laughs> were you on your iPhone? I don't know if you're iPhone or Android, but are you, are you iPhone guy? Or? I'm an iPhone guy, yeah. Do you remember Hipstamatic? I actually, now you mentioned it, I do remember that. Yes, absolutely. Because yeah, photographers know that. it. So it was like pre-Instagram. It was like That's the true. first filter-based photography app in the App Store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like this Friends United of, <laughs> of photography apps. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so funny. Okay, what is your favorite children's book that you've ever read? Off the top of my head, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, I guess. nice one. Gotta be right. Yeah. Um, best thing that you ever bought for under ten dollars? A croissant. Lovely. <laughs> Actually, and from France, I assume would be even. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Any any French pastry would go for me, but you can't beat a nice croissant, right? Yeah. Perfect. What's the most important thing you've ever changed your mind about? Oh, that's a good one. I think well, we recently moved from the city to the countryside, or at least to a small town. And I always thought of myself as a city person. I left the countryside. I grew up in the in a small town, a small country town. And once I moved to London, I was like, right, this is it. I'm city guy from now on. And I lived in cities for over 30 years. And I never, ever thought that I would ever say, ah, time for a change, need more space, I've moved to the countryside. So changing my mind about being a city person certainly was a radical and uh, impactful decision. So, and probably the best decision I've made of late anyway. Yeah. I know you have your own, but maybe some other business or marketing books that you recommend. This is an embarrassing uh, mission, but I don't really read business or marketing. Or marketing That's all right. Books. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I wish I could recommend one off the top of my head, but no, I, it's bizarre. And I always used to say that I write marketing books for people who don't read marketing books. I used to say, I want to write books that you can read on the beach. So um, I'm sure one will occur to me after this. But for the time being, I'm reading a book by the Spanish author who wrote The Shadow of the Wind. I don't know if you know that book, Zaphon. I'm reading his collection of short stories, which was published uh, posthumously because he left us recently. So that's, that's what I'm reading right now. But it has nothing to do with marketing or business. But the beauty of story and marinating in story is pretty awesome. So I'm going to say Adland, the global history of advertising. So I'm just going to put that one in there for you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, how about podcasts? Is there any podcasts that you're listening to these days that you want to share about? This is another embarrassing thing. I don't really listen to podcasts. I've never really been able to explain why I'm not attracted to podcasts. I think it's because I'm the kind of person who can't do several things at once. So it's kind of weird for me to just sit still in a room with just the oral thing going on, that's just the audio going on, because I kind of feel as if I should be walking around at the same time doing other things, but then I can't concentrate on the podcasts. But I also think that one day, I think it's just a question of coming across one that I really like, and then maybe the click will happen, and then I'll suddenly say, why am I not into these, you know? Why am I not doing this? But I can't recommend one, I'm afraid. Okay, I'm going to recommend one episode from one show. It's Revisionist History. Okay, I'm going to write this down. This is Malcolm Gladwell's foray into podcasting. Revisionist History as a person who loves okay. history and, you know, could be a historian one day. Revisionist yeah. history, and I'm going to recommend Generous Orthodoxy as the first episode to kind of wet all your right. palate. Yeah, but all the episodes are amazing. I end up listening to them when I drive places, but I guess where you live, you're probably not doing these epic drives into big cities or you know, 30, 40 minute drives. No, I mean, I do drive a bit. We are going on a road trip this week, actually. We're driving down to Spain, so that might be a good time to start. When I drive, I have the local jazz station. On. Yeah. Oh, that's the best. That's good. That's good for the soul. Absolutely, yeah. That's great. How about a newsletter website that you'd recommend? Yes. What is that called? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find the name of that. Lean Lux, it's called. L-E-A-N-L-U-X-E. -E. And I receive that every day, and I always read it. I find it very interesting for keeping an eye on trends. I like it a lot. 
So yeah, that would be one I would recommend. So close us off here. Where can people learn more about Epic Awards and even learn more about you? Yeah, well, um, on the Epic Awards site, which is www.epica.awards.com, and then you have all the info. You have not just info about entering the awards, you also have all the past results, and you also have news stories and interviews with people who I write about. So that's kind of interesting as well. And for me, well, if you want to follow my Instagram account, uh, it's at Mark Tungate. It's very easy to find. Perfect. And discover all the books about Mark TungateInParis.com. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. See, it's funny because obviously that was my city life and now it's changed because I don't live in Paris anymore. No, exactly. But... I like it. I like it. <laughs> but the books are still out there. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Mark, thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to leave with Canadians out there that are listening while they're walking? Maybe they're driving, walking. I don't know how they're listening to this show right now. I was interviewing somebody the other day and I asked her the same question and she said, be kind. So let's stick with that one. I thought that I was like nice. it. I love that. Be kind. That's great <laughs> advice. Make sure Canadians, we want to see lots of great... I don't think we have the numbers. Mark, do you know the numbers, how many Canadians entered last year? I don't have that to hand, unfortunately. Well, whatever the number was, let's make it bigger. Absolutely. And have more representation from, I think, some great Canadians out there. I'm going to call out Sephora. I want to see your submission right now for what you did with Cheekbone Beauty. Rethink, I know you're going to enter, of course. But all the great agencies out there, we're so excited that this award is affordable, it's accessible. If you can't afford it, Mark might even pull out a favor for you, which is pretty impressive. You don't often hear, I've never heard that actually from an awards person ever, <laughs> um, ever. My boss is going to probably, I'm not the CEO, so you know I'm probably going to get a, a nasty email now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So the offer's out there, right? That's amazing. And at the very least, and I love this part about it, is that even if you don't win, this is an amazing opportunity to maybe get picked up by uh, you know journalists all around the world. Maybe get covered in, whether it's Australia to Amsterdam to Hungary to South Africa. Absolutely. You know what's cool, Mark? Actually, when we joined as a jury with our publication, was I learned about all these other Canadian publications that were especially ones based in Quebec, which was very cool. So it was really awesome to see. And yeah, no, it's a world worldwide community and if you ever you know come along to the live meeting which i hope you will uh, one day that it's really interesting to have all these people around the table and lifelong friendships have been born there because it's not often you get a whole bunch of journalists who write about the same thing in different countries of the world all sitting together exchanging and chatting so it's a pretty impressive uh, event just in that little microcosm uh, on its own something mark thank you for sharing with us today that's all right it's a pleasure nice to meet you Yeah, good to meet you as well. Thanks everyone for joining us this episode of Marketing News Canada and we'll see you next time on the show. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio thanks to our producer, Chris Penner and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 